Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. I'm your host, Brian. Hey, thanks for listening in. This is Robert. Hey, I'm Zach. Join us for each episode as we apply the gospel to dive into the inner workings of the Christian faith. Are you agnostic or atheist and want to understand Christianity better? Want to learn more about Jesus? Discuss the differences between the modern and early churches? or maybe explore some of the Bible's most interesting characters, then we hope you'll join us in Achieving Christian Thought. Okay, and we're back with another episode of the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. Welcome everyone out there listening. Um, If you want to interact with us, definitely visit our Facebook page, the Achieving Christian Thought podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a message, drop us a like, and uh, whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on, definitely drop us a like, drop us a review. Um, We'd love to hear from you. Um, As always, joined by Zach and Robert. Hello. And last time uh, we talked about, dove a little bit into kind of how to study the Bible, the difference between reading the Bible and actually studying the Bible. And on this episode, I think we're going to kind of put that into practice. Yeah. We're going to dive into a fun one, the book of Psalms. Yeah. And for those who don't know what Psalms is, we'll go into more detail about it. But a very, one of the more interesting books of the yep. Bible, I would I would surmise. Yep. But uh, yeah, welcome, Zach. Welcome, Robert. Take it away. All right. So uh, we're launching into the book of Psalms. Uh, I didn't need to say that. Brian just did, but I did it. Um, but so for those who don't know, and uh, in the last episode... If you haven't watched it, uh, the episode immediately before this one, um, I would encourage you to go back and give it a listen, at least for a little while, get the gist of what we're talking about. We were talking about the necessity of genuinely digging into God's Word, and how do you do that? And the reason we did that was, well, obviously to help newer believers, people who may have been believers for years, but they're trying to recommit to uh, being diligent in the Word, but... The reason we chose to do it right then is a segue into these next few shows. We're going to be going into Scripture. Actually, unless you're driving, if you have a Bible, uh, we would encourage you to dig one up, uh, have it in front of you. It would just en- it, it would just enrich in your experience of this particular show. Uh, the reason is, for the first time in this show, we're actually going to be digging through Scripture verse for verse. And so uh, the Psalms, we talked about the importance of context. The Psalms are basically um, Israel's greatest hits. These are the songs that the people worshipped Yahweh by. Now, one sad aspect of this is the fact that we have lost the tune of many of these. And there might actually be clues to tunes. Uh, Some of these Psalms say uh, to the tune of so-and-so, and we don't know what tune that is. It would be like us writing a Christian song and saying this is to the beat of um, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Da, na, 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 na. And in 500 years, let's say that tune was lost. And so there's an archaeologist digging this note piece of notebook paper up and they're like, what in the world is Twinkle Little Star? And, you know, the whole thing is lost, but they can translate the words. And so that's what the book of Psalms is. It's 150 individual songs to which we've lost the tune. But these songs, the lyrics of these songs have been such a source of hope and encouragement and uh, comparison of the human experience, despair, confusion, anger, everything that a human being would experience, whether they know Christ or not. It just any breathing human being has experienced something somewhere in the Psalms. And so for this show, we're digging into the very first one. It seemed very logical to us. Plus, it's very, very short compared to some other much more complex ones that we probably wouldn't have time to squeeze into an episode of a podcast, though we would encourage anybody to dig through any psalm for themselves, go to a church and dig through any psalm in a a personal face-to-face group. But for this show, we're doing the very first psalm. Um, I'll just kind of introduce the idea And then I'll juggle that to Zach for a little bit so we can have fresh voices in here. But um, to give an overview of Psalm 1, if you have a Bible, I said go there. Um, So Psalm 1, 
uh, to stall for a little bit of time, give any any flippers the time to get to that page or to that part of their their Bible app on their phone. But uh, as you look at Psalm one, you can see that this is only six verses. It's very short, and um, most English translations would actually give you a clue to this. But uh, there are some separations between the lines because this psalm in particular has three basic uh, premises, three basic flows of thought from one branch to another. Now, the basic idea of this entire psalm is that bad company can corrupt your character. It can have an influence on you. It can... uh, wear out your reputation, Um, and even if it doesn't have an influence on you in certain aspects, it can be unwise to hang out with the wrong crowd simply because their reputation could become yours. Now, the three sections that you see, verses 1 and 2, are the beginning. This is the, the main premise of the thing. This is the point. And so it said, the very first line, blessed is the man. So something is blessed for him to do. The second section, verses 3 and 4, is a promise. Blessed is the man, okay, but why? Verses 3 and 4 answer that. And so it says, he is like a tree. What does that mean? Blessed is he because he's like a tree if he does something. And we'll dig into that through the course of the show. But Verses 5 and 6 are the promise, the, the conclusion. Therefore, the wicked will not stand. And so there is something being promised here. Blessed is the man who does a thing. He's like a tree. How? We'll get into that. Why is that metaphor important? Does that mean he, he rustles and loses his hair in the wind when it, in the fall? No, it does not. <laughs> but we'll get into that. Therefore, the wicked will not stand. And so we have, and I can say this right away, just a tree stands and has strong roots, but the wicked will not stand. So this metaphor is falling in both directions. The righteous will stand, the wicked will not. And so this is the basic gist of the psalm that we have in front of us. It's a promise by God if we do certain things in the light of his word. But Zach? Yeah. Um, So I'm going to really quick um, actually just read it. But one thing that, and this goes back to like looking at different translations Robert, I believe you. What do you have? I'm using the English Standard Version, the ESV. It's one. It, in my opinion, it's one of the best on the market. But I'm not going to put it on a pedestal. It's just one translation of many. But it's more of uh, what we talked about in the last show. The formal translations. It's more word for word. It can be harder to understand in places because it tries to parallel the Greek and Hebrew more exactly. And the one that I'm using tonight is the NLT, the New Living Translation. And that is a more thought-for-thought. Obviously, like I said before uh, in the previous episode, uh, whenever you translate something, there always is word-for-word, thought-for-thought. But this one leads a little bit more to, okay, what is the author trying to say? What is the point of the author making? And um, I'm going to read... I'll go through and I'll read the first um I'll read the uh first three verses and then Robert can come behind me and he can read his first three verses and you can kind of just see the difference of how it's actually been translated by different uh um translations. Oh yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. And as Zach is about to read, keep in mind my ESV, the formal, asks, what does it actually say? Zach's, the more dynamic translation, simply asks, what does it actually mean? And they both have value. Right. Thank you. Um, so this is uh, part one, or uh, book, uh, book one um, and Psalm one. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with uh, mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never never wither, and they they prosper in all they do. Again, that's Psalm one, verses one through three. Excellent, thank you, Zach. Um, repeat to me the very first line out of yours. 
Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Okay. Yeah, I see similarities and differences with mine. You said, oh, the joys. Uh, mm-hmm. Mine is blessed. And so yours definitely describes what blessed means more. Mm-hmm. Uh, blessed. What What would you say comes to your mind, not as a Bible scholar, because we already know it, but as a typical modern American dude, what would you say comes to your mind when, if you heard blessed on the street in an alternate dimension where you weren't a Christian already? I That's a good question. I would say maybe prosperous. Mm, okay. Um, or if not prosperous, definitely somebody who isn't like being like is a benefit, like they've mm-hmm. benefited from something. Okay, yeah, that's definitely definitely a good point. Uh, for me, and I'm just swapping opinions from my background. When I heard "blessed" before becoming a Bible scholar. Um, I would think of uh, being, if this makes any sense, it may or may not, but I thought of being cajoled by people who are very kind to you. And I would think of some southern lady, oh, bless his heart. Yeah. Bless it, bless it. <laughs> <laughs> so, blessed. So, does that mean the man gets cookies <laughs> when he comes to visit Granny? Right, right, right. That's a blessing. That is <laughs> it a can blessing. be. A I, won't, I won't even try to deny that. Oh, and that's the the value here, because you can have all these different ideas of what blessed is, and yet the Hebrews had a specific idea of blessed. Uh, the psalmist uses it. Uh, Jesus even used it when he preached, but that's getting th- hundreds of years ahead of us. So uh, Zach's translation, oh, the joys of him, so blessed. It's a spiritual blessing. Mm-hmm. It's a contentment knowing that you are in God's will. It's knowing that you have done what was what God would consider the right thing in certain situations. Um, and so there are three, um, yeah, three little action phrases here. You know, blessed is the man who what? And yours is, oh, the joys of the man who what? And so mine says, and I'm just going to list off these action words. It's a little choppy, so I'm going to skip the rest of these sentences to get to those action words. Blessed is the man who walks not, nor stands, nor sits. And so you have, first you have an idea of a person, uh, they're pumping their legs down the street, they're walking, they're in motion, and then you stand, and so you're no longer standing in motion, you're rooted in something. And then you sit down, and so you're actually part of something. And so this this, uh, image kind of loses energy in a way this person is in motion then they're standing and then they're sitting and so it becomes more and more relaxed as you go uh, can you repeat what your three action terms are in that version of yours uh it says who do not follow the advice or stand around or join in with perfect so and that's the give and take of uh, the two translations mine keeps those those action metaphors in the original Hebrew. It talks about standing, uh, walking, then standing and sitting down. Zach's focusing more on what the meaning behind them is, talking about living your life. Mm-hmm. You're a part of something. You've stood around and joined something. Uh, mm-hmm. The last one you did said join yourself to. Uh, or join in with mockers. Perfect. And so it's the idea of sitting among a group and being counted as one of their equals mm-hmm. and in this case mockers but uh so blessed is the man who does not inter uh entertain the company that would ruin his reputation or his morals so um mine were walk not stand not sit not so walk not in the counsel of the wicked so you do not live your life you're not on the move based on counsel that wicked people would give you Mm -hmm. some stupid, horrible advice and it's everywhere Mm -hmm. and it can ruin your life. If you just, just jump into it because it's what you want to hear. Uh, can you finish that sentence for me and yours, Zach? Uh, uh, yeah. So follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. Perfect. Yeah. Mine says stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so these are kind of, we'll talk about the people you're with now. We've talked about those action terms. We've talked about 
uh, the way that they're conveyed in two different ways by our versions, but it's the same idea, the same principle, the same heart condition we've all got to watch out for. But the counsel of the wicked, what does that mean? Um, basically, it's a term that can jump out at you from Scripture a lot. Basically, wicked um, means all those who refuse to acknowledge the lordship of God and the the pleasures of following his word. Is someone who wants to go their own way uh, either for a million different reasons, but they all fall in the same camp in God's eyes. You're either for him or against him. But it uses different um, synonyms for these types of people in these three lines. Mm -hmm. In the counsel of the wicked, that has the idea of wrongness. It's the opposite of righteous, those who do wrong. Mm -hmm. And stands in the way of sinners. Those are mark missers. Uh, that's a long theological idea, but... Basically, God has held up a standard of life, and you're missing it. And so you stand in the way of these people who are, you know, their, their lives are spiritually standing in places where God has not marked it out to be, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. What are they, what does it mean to scoff? First of all, it's kind of a high English word. It's kind of a mocker. What is that what, what your yeah, version that's says? That's the translation. It says, or join in with mockers. Perfect. And so, you know, mocking is, is teasing, is uh, bullying, is putting down, it's making fun of. What are they making fun of? They're making fun of God's Word, mm -hmm. the God of the Word, and they're making fun of you for being such a follower. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so again, it goes back to, oh, the joys of those who do not follow mm -hmm. the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. So it's making a distinction here. <clears throat> it's saying, okay, there is joy in not doing these things mm -hmm. not taking the advice of the wicked well what is the advice of the wicked in this particular <laughs> um, passage it doesn't list immediately those things right mm -hmm. it just says the advice of the wicked or stand with sinners or join in with mockers now in that day and time you know, in the in the time of this psalm, there was the idea that there was God, because we're talking about the Jewish people here, and they also had influences of various other beliefs, other ideas out there besides Yahweh. So there was a constant back and forth with the people of Israel. Sometimes they would do right and follow the Lord, and sometimes they would do wrong and not, and they'd follow other people and etc. So this contrast that's being set up is a reflection of that, if that makes sense. Yep. So this is talking about, okay, um, we're, uh, sometimes we set up uh, the wicked, or sometimes the wicked for the moment seem to have the advantage, but at the end... The joy is for those who trust in the Lord. Um, we can jump down uh, into the next uh, two and three, because we went over those, but I'll go over them now. It says, but they delight. Okay, so, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But, so this is a, this is going a, a tie-in. To that first sentence, the joys of the Lord, uh, the joys of those who do not. So this, but they delight in the law of the Lord. So, so you have the people who do wicked, and you do not partake of those. So this is kind of like advice for somebody. This is a person who says, "Oh, there's joy." in doing God's will and not following the advice, the advice of the wicked, not hanging out with sinners, not hanging out or joining in with mockers, but those who find joy in the Lord, they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They, again, the people who delight in the Lord, they are like trees planted along the river bank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. So again, 
you see a contrast between those who do wicked and those who do not do wicked, those who follow the Lord. And it says, those who follow the Lord, their leaves never wither and they prosper in all that they do. So again, you see this contrast. Okay, the wicked, what do they do? They give bad advice or they justify sin and they mock the people of God. They mock God. So again, there you see the people who do what is wrong and then the, but those who do what is the Lord's will, the delight of the Lord, trusting in the Lord, they are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves ne never wither and they prosper in all they do. So I'm going to jump unless you have something to add. No, you're good. You're you're going you're going through the flow pretty well. Okay. And so I'm going to go here on to the next verse, but not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff. And that that word chaff, you're like what does that mean? We'll come back to that. If you have your if you're out reading your Bible, you can circle that word and then we'll continue on. Scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Before I go into that circle word of chaff, Robert, you give us what you have for verses 4, 5, and 6. Yes, and so um, I'll actually um, I'll start in verse 3. It, that version kind of flows with the thought here for me. But uh, if it's that promise, you know, blessed is the man who does not these things. Why? Because he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And again, you see like the contrast between the godly and the wicked. The wicked, even if they seem to, at the moment to have good things going for them, in the end, the end is destruction. And whereas the godly, um, God watches over them. So going back to like how I said to circle that one word, chafe or chaff, um, scattered by the wind. So... We're talking of, and this goes back to understanding um, the culture, the day, and the time, and also different word meanings and things of that nature. Um, so, uh, chaff is literally like if you imagine a head of wheat. Like you know, you go out in a field somewhere, and you see wheat or barley, and you go and you pick up that wheat. So you have grains that um, have fruit in it or have the nut in it. But then you also have, it looks like it has a nut, but it actually doesn't. It's what's called chafe. It looks good, but it actually isn't. Like whenever you go, when people back in the day um, would separate the wheat from the chaff, what they would do is they would harvest the wheat and they would put it on a blanket and they would uh, toss it in the air, like not like a foot or whatever, but they would toss it a little bit in the air and the air would catch it. It would catch the chafe and the chafe would get blown away so that only the seeds um, remained, only the actual fruit, only the things that you would use to make the bread would remain whereas that which looked good but actually wasn't good was taken away and so again you have that contrast between light and darkness good and evil desirable which is the fruit of wheat and the chafe which is the wicked that blows away again this you see this picture of the godly which are preserved and planted and have roots and then whenever uh, they're tossed in the air they come back and that's what you desire it's what God desires where the chafe the wicked those who give bad advice bad counsel they 
justify sin and um, they mock God, those are basically led off to destruction. So you see a contrast between the two. Got anything you'd like to add, Robert? Uh, real uh, the contrast, you know, a tree and then shaft. Uh, one stands firm; it never leaves. Um, I mean, some trees they stand for hundreds of years, and that same tree will, metaphorically speaking, be witness to so many human lives, so many events. And yet, the shaft in one click will—it's gone. And, uh, you know, the idea of chaff, of, uh, it's kind of like uh, the idea of, and I, I was sitting here off the top of my head, and I could probably get something better if I had more time, but something that would be a modern understanding of chaff, because we can understand that, absolutely, but most people nowadays aren't farmers. Right. So the image would be kind of like uh, if you had, were writing something in pencil, and you had to erase it, and you had those little pencil uh, uh, eraser shavings all over the page and that page is clean again it's gone that fast and that's the warning is for people who love the word of God they stand firm they're like a tree next to water and we know that the water is feeding the tree it's not going anywhere mm-hmm. it's it, it, the, that seed landed at the perfect spot for that tree to flourish because it has a beautiful source of life and of course for us that image of us is we are standing firm in the river of God's grace. We have the source of his life to stand on. Meanwhile, the wicked, those who've been scoffing and those who've been uh, running against God's counsel, it says that their lives are going to blow away as quickly as the shafe or as quickly as the eraser dri- uh, driblets that I've talked about before. Their life, their legacy, all their biggest uh, plans are going to be gone in the blink of an eye, and yet it's going to be the tree that stands the legacy of time. Right. And so we have one of idea of something that can't be moved, and then the other one is the idea of something that just can't be stayed. Right, right. And, and that's one thing that with this passage here, it talks about like, like the ultimate... Uh, what is the ultimate end for the wicked? Because, and, and this can kind of go in a, in a little bit of application. Um, a lot of times, us as believers, we might be tempted to stop and listen to the advice of uh, the wicked. We, or be seen among the sinners or join in with them. There might be that temptation because everybody's doing it and there is a maybe a peer pressure to join in. But whereas that might be the case for some, for the godly, instead he will actually in, in, meditate on the word. Um, it says here in verse 2, but they, those who um, don't do the things of the wicked, they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. So whereas there might be someone who gives advice and it sounds good and it sounds like what society does, the question goes back to, is it does it correspond to with the Word of God? And if it doesn't, then you shouldn't do it if you're a believer you need to flee and see this goes into that kind of contra- like um the idea of uh just how uh if you as a believer can uh get um grounded in the scripture you can actually have a more fulfilling life even though you may be doing it without other by everybody else's approval um, because those who sin like to get others to do it and join in and if you the godly man or woman decide to not do those things you're going to be ostracized and you're going to be potentially alone or you're going to be with other believers and you guys find comfort in each other's in that fellowship. Whereas those people who are sinners and mockers, they laugh and they get carried away. And, and maybe in this world, maybe they're the 
the Hollywood actors and or the professors at the university or, you know, insert whatever people on TV, what have you, that seem like their life is wonderful. They look good and they smell good, but really they're just chafing the wind and their their end goal is destruction. And because it talks about here, it talks about they will be condemned at, condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners have no place among the godly. Now, one thing to keep in mind here is we're looking at the Old Testament, so they don't have a complete revelation of of sinners and God, and that you know, like Jesus came to save sinners, and so. That's where, and like, whenever you look at the Old Testament, you kind of you have to be careful. But at the same time, you can get parallels because if you who are in Christ are a believer, then you are godly. Like what these people are talking about here, the joy of those who follow the Lord, those who follow Yahweh, those who meditate on the Scriptures, learn from Jesus sit at the feet of Jesus even though you know obviously Jesus right now is in heaven and but you can still read the gospels you can still read the new testament and get an understanding of who Jesus is what he taught what he challenges us to do and be and live out our life to be that the light in the darkness so to speak um so then that's the idea of the godly, but you don't see that in the Old Testament necessarily so easily. And that's why um, when reading the Old Testament, you have to be kind of careful that you don't get caught up in like the idea of Judaism and things of that nature. Because sometimes the way things are worded, like it seems kind of condemning. And in a way it is because you're talking about the ungodly, but really by Jesus' standards... We're all sinners, but we who have repented um, and believe in Jesus uh, are righteous because of Christ. And so that's where you have to be mindful of your um, theology, so to speak. And Robert, I know you're taking a drink of something, uh, so I'll give you a second by doing some ad lib and dot, 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 dot. Robert, go ahead and take over. (laughs) You're fine. (laughs) But uh, everything Zach has said has been, I mean, spot on for the psalm. Like we said, it's a very quick one, but a very simple but very profound promise. And so we talked about the idea that the righteous will stand and hold firm. And just in case the idea of shaft wasn't clear enough, the very last couple of verses, 5 and 6, make it crystal clear. Therefore, the wicked will not stand. You know, the tree stood, the wicked will fall over in the judgment of God, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. And so these people, they won't have a place among God's people when all is said and done. When everyone else who loved God's law stands, they will be blown away so that there's nobody left. And that's the great promise of the final judgment and the whole new heaven and new earth. But uh, that, again, gets ahead of things. And so this promise, they won't stand in judgment. They won't be part of God's people in the end. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. And that's how the psalm ends. And so this whole idea, and of course the whole psalm has been about it two ways, you'll with God or without God. Mm-hmm. And this one is, the one way is the way God knows. And what it means is that God looks down upon it has approval on it it's in line with what he intended the human life to look like and the other one is uh, just a road to nowhere it wrote it's a road to destruction simply because there's no creator there a creation going the way that the creator never had and so the whole idea is it's not just that this is a smart way to live and if you don't do it you could be destroyed by any random devices it's not just the idea that this is a wise way to live and you'll live a more full and complete life if you do it again the whole point of the psalm here the the water that feeds the tree this is the way of Yahweh this is the way of the creator it implies that you believe in a creator and that you believe that he really does know what the best way for a human to live is 
And so it's the whole idea of relationship with him. If you want him, then you will chase after him and you'll become the tree. If you don't, you'll mock him, you'll scoff him, you'll scorn him, you'll turn your back on him, and you'll be blown away. Mm-hmm. And so all the things that I just said were not the promise. You know, the idea of a fulfilling life, the idea of a wiser life, all of that's thrown in if you put the Creator first. And so if you have your focus on him first and foremost, that's what makes those benefits of the first trail true because the creator is there. And so these things come in because you put the creator first, if that's where your heart is. And so it's giving this warning to check your heart. Mm -hmm. Who are you chasing after? Are you trying just to make your own life better? Even if it's outwardly righteous to Israel and to us today, are you just outwardly trying to make your life better? Or are you really chasing the one we cannot see except with the eyes of faith? Or are you bowing down to what the vice of the wicked? Are you, do you see the people who ends, their end is destruction and you're tempted to join them because you're not seeing the full picture right now? Mm-hmm. That's the temptation that we all have. I mean, as believers, that's one of the reasons why it's so important, again, to be involved in church is because, it, one, it gives you a place to belong. It gives a, you a community of other brothers and sisters to lean on and support, but it also helps you to go, oh, well, that's actually bad thinking. Let's help you with that, mm-hmm. you know, whereas the uh the wicked's ideas and advice seem right to them but their end is destruction and and that's why it's like it's that important to follow god like if you are committed to being a christ follower that's why it's so important to be in the word that's why it's so, cuz you meditate on it day and night you think about it you dwell on it um and again, like if if you imagine in your like, say you have a piece of paper, like you're this is you doing your notes. You could, um, I used to write out the entire chapter or verse in my notebook, and then circle different words, and then do the word study of those. But you don't necessarily have to do that. You can still write those words, like such as chafe and meditating and looking up what those mean what do those what does meditating mean into the in the old and new testament versus what does meditating mean to us now today um in this day and age we think of uh, meditating as emptying up your mind but that's not what meditating in the scriptures means it talks about actually meditating on the bible meditating on god's word and actually dwelling on it and thinking about it and and stopping and and thinking about what you do before you do it and asking the question does it line up with god uh his his desire for your life and conduct and things of that nature again this kind of puts the uh the the word study in place like if you imagine um a list of words that you could look up like you've got your you got your Bible out. You've got you've read it a couple times. You've kind of went back between the two different translations, like what Robert and I've been doing, and then you find key words to look up. Maybe you don't know what chafe is. Me and Robert have done this before, so we kind of have an idea of that. But then you go and look that up in the uh, and a, a commentary or a, a Bible dictionary. All that information can be found in those places and it kind of like helps give you insight to that passage or to this particular um uh uh psalm i couldn't think of the word there (laughs) but i mean and it helps you grow in your understanding of what's being said so you can have your doing multiple different comparisons of translations do your word studies of words that you're not familiar with and then gain the insight of what those words are, what they meant in the Old Testament or New Testament, depending on which book you're reading. And then uh, after that, you can then go into prayer as far as like, and like this is kind of like how you do like a, a word Bible study. Um, 
and and then you can even write out your prayer because that's what I do in my daily devotions. I go, I read the scripture, think about it, dwell on it for a couple minutes, and then write out a prayer of thanksgiving to the Lord for giving me information or just thoughts or what have you, or even write down thoughts that I have about the text or whatnot. And that's kind of like you're digging into the Word, you're digging into the Scripture, you're getting a better understanding of what's being said, what's not being said, and that's kind of just kind of giving you the framework of how to actually not just us tell you how to read it, but this is the actual reading it. And this goes back, all, and another point that I'll make um, is before, and Robert touched on this, this um, book of Psalms is a book of poetry. And so you will find um, metaphors, you'll find symbolism, you'll find all these things. This genre is poetic, it's poetry. And so you'll find different meanings, symbolisms, and things of that nature. So it's a lot richer of a, a dig-in versus something like historical narrative, like such as the Gospels. Although Jesus talks about lessons and things of that nature, a lot of times, like the book of Acts, a lot of times it's literally just this person did this and did this and did this and they went over here and they did this and they said this and this is what they said or this is a speech they gave. And so it's a little bit more dry, just more of a, because that's the genre of uh, historical narrative versus poetry. And that's why it's important to be mindful of the genre that you're looking at whenever you do your Bible study. Um, not that you can't have like, passages in the uh in those narratives where they might reference scripture or or what have you but ultimately the purpose of the author is to recount those events that happen in the historical narrative not so much capturing symbolism and things of that nature although those can still be found if that makes sense boom yes so going into what I would consider the last phase of the episode tonight, just the the psalm is so short, mm-hmm. uh, you'll eventually be whipping a dead horse if we jump back into more of what a tree stands for. But I think it's really important, before we close, um, reading the psalm theologically. Mm-hmm. And, there's, and that's probably the last step, the widest branch of context. And like Zach said, for those of you who don't know what chafe is, you might get overwhelmed with... This last sec- last section, wondering where we got this info. This right. is years of knowing the scriptures, mm-hmm. and so this will be the hardest thing you do, but the most rewarding is zooming out. We we are on the other side of Christ. We're on the other side of uh, the plan of salvation, awaiting that final judgment when Jesus's second advent comes. But um, first of all, you know the Psalm in light of Christ. You know, blessed is the man who follows. Now it sounds on the surface like this psalm is trying to say that if we obey the laws in the Lord's word mm-hmm. the moral laws in the Lord's word he will pour blessings down upon us now mm-hmm. we in this room and recording the show we know that's not true so how can we interpret this this promise in light of Christ mm-hmm. and so the idea of you know the blessings could B, if God chooses, he can give you certain material blessings if he knows you're wise, if he knows you can use them well. But the biggest concern here is the idea that blessed is the man who experiences these blessings spiritually. Mm -hmm. He will leave a legacy. It will give him something to hold on to, even if his life is cut off abruptly, even if uh, the story has a lot of cuts and bruises, it will prosper because what Christ has done in a person's life is the thing that's going to last um, mm. above and beyond. And the reason I wanted to bring this up before we close was because a lot of Christian groups, a lot of churches would take a verse um, like, let's say, um, in all that he does, he prospers, verse 3. Mm-hmm. The wicked are not so. They would say this, that, okay, you're going to become the CEO of this company because you've obeyed the law of the Lord. You're going to 
crush your <laughs> you're gonna yeah. be a millionaire you're gonna crush your enemies under your feet if that was true then there was nobody quite as godly as Napole- uh, napoleon or adolf hitler because god gave him gave him the world mm-hmm. alexander the great and yet we have so many examples of wicked people and scoffers who rose above i mean i literally listed them <laughs> just mm-hmm. now and we have countless examples of godly people who've fallen in the dust. Mm-hmm. The biblical the biblical book canonically right behind Psalms that I'm looking at on the other side of the Bible here is Job. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is the story about he was he was righteous. He was Psalm one. And yet he crumbled and fell into the dust. And yet so the final promise and it doesn't negate anything that the Psalm has said, it means everything. The law of the Lord means everything because of who it was given by. But in light of Christ, it's the idea that even if your outward life seems to fall short, like you get the short end of the stick, uh, you have a tragic end, your, your life is something that nobody outside of your local community will ever talk about, you're not famous, this promise still stands because... The man who is willing to obey it in light of Christ. He's not just obeying the moral rights and wrongs. He's living his life as a believer in Christ. He's repented of his sins. He's doing these things out of thankfulness to Christ because he already has his salvation. He's not working for it. And yet he already has it. Therefore, he's obeying these things out of a heart of love rather than a heart of obligation or simply a desire to build a legacy that's not his end goal it's to please and glorify the christ that saved him these things hold because his life in the long run his life that is going to be rewarded at the last day the very last verses talk about the judgment you know the wicked will be blown away at the judgment those who might fall on the outside now will stand like trees forever and spiritually that'll definitely be true if you Mm. cling to the law of the lord you're not going to fall into these are ideals but you're not going to fall into discouragement you're not going to stray in your thought life you're not going to have a moment when your your walk falters because on the inside where really only god can see and what really ultimately counts for eternity that tree will be your heart it won't be your stature in the world necessarily but it will be your stature in the kingdom because you've chosen to to bask yourself in the presence of the one who died and came again. And so that is definitely a massive arrow in the eye of what we call the prosperity gospel, which was the very concern that I raised up a moment ago about all that he does will prosper. Your Your definition of prosper has got to fall in line with the shadow of Christ, and there's no hope of prosperity in the shadow of a Savior who lived in paupery. It's just not going to happen. And it was crucified. <laughs> and it was crucified. was literally murdered by the world he made, and you're not going to get the big piece of the pie by obeying God. You're no. just not. Yeah, just because um, you follow Yahweh doesn't mean that you won't die of cancer. No. There's no or, promise. Or horrible things happen, or horrible things happen for, to you. The thing is, is having the perspective of where... No, you don't have to like those things, and you don't have to agree with those things. And actually, you can fight to have those things never happen again. Oh yeah. Um, and sh- that should be our that should be what our focus is is making sure those things never happen again, but not to not to make that the not to make that your defining. Like a lot of times, people get cancer and they survive it, and that becomes their thing. I beat cancer. You know, they wear pink and this and that. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but they let that define them. Well, whereas with believers, Christ is what defines us. Not prosperity according to the world, but prosperity according to God. And if he says, you know, you suffer this, not that you, not that he's the one who's behind it, but if he allows it to happen in your life or evil people choose to do those things to you, then... It's about trusting in that Lord. The Lord will handle that, and you just give it to Him, and ha- ask Him to help you through it. Because at the end of the day, even if those people who wrong you or do evil, they might get away with it here, but they won't get away with it before God. 
because he knows their hearts. He knows what they did and, and all those things. So just to keep that in perspective. Um, so, yeah. Sounds good. Um, any other thoughts about theological? Repent and believe in Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Amen. How do you stand in the congregation of the righteous? Only by faith. Only by faith. You are the chaff unless Christ is the thing that makes you stand. But that you would only know by zooming out on the whole kit and caboodle, and that's the point. That's it. <laughs> that's it. Read it as an ancient Israelite would, and then zoom out and read it as a modern Christian can. But uh, that is a, an example in a nutshell of what Bible study sincerely looks like. Just one psalm, and yet there's so many other, <laughs> not just psalms, but chapters and verses and stories and wisdom sayings and uh, historical narratives and, and apocalyptic literature, apocalyptic nightmares, <laughs> <laughs> straight out of the depths of Stephen King's nightmares. And the, but uh, but that's just one example, and we will uh, continue to do it. We're not committing to any particular passage or agenda at the moment, but we do plan on keeping doing it because the Word of God is the great foundation for a Christian podcast. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So uh, just. To land any final thoughts? We'll I'm, I'm good. Land good, plane. Yeah. All right. Blessed is the man who trusts in Christ. Period. Next sentence. That's it for now. All right. Well, thank you all. Uh, we appreciate our listeners uh, tuning in for this episode. Uh, once again, visit our Facebook, uh, the Achieving Christian Thought Podcast. Leave us a message. Leave us a like. We'd love to interact with you. And as always, Zach and Robert, thanks so much for another fantastic episode. Thank you. And uh, to all of our listeners, we will see you on the next episode. So bye, bye all. Bye-bye.